Welcome to The Abandoned Carousel, the show where I take a deep dive into the stories of the most interesting abandoned theme parks and amusements in the world. I'm your host, Ashley. This week, we're talking about an eye-catching sight on the side of I-15 in the Mojave Desert. Lake Dolores can be thought of as three separate water parks. The freewheeling 70s and 80s water park, the modern 90s reincarnation, and the post-closure abandoned water park. This is the story of America's first water park, Lake Dolores Water Park. I still have a scar on my knee from that park, end quote, remembers one visitor in an online forum for the Lake Dolores water park. Quote, I still remember when Jay went down the slide on a boogie board and zoomed straight across the lake and came to an abrupt stop under his truck, end quote. Lake Dolores water park could perhaps be remembered as the action park of the West, Both parks had the young, fun, wild vibes that came with lax safety rules, summertime sunshine, and free-flowing alcohol. Quote, only real rules there were no motorcycles in the park and no beer bongs, end quote. Quote, no fear when you're young, end quote, remembers another visitor. And someone else chimes in, quote, so 80s, end quote. The location is Newberry Springs, California. Located a few miles from Barstow off I-15 between Los Angeles and Las Vegas, this is the location of a desert oasis, a little spot in the middle of nowhere. It was nowhere back then, and it's pretty much nowhere now. If you're looking for it on a map, it's pretty much equidistant between Vegas and L.A., roughly 140 miles from each. The area is attractive to those interested in desert outdoor sports, water skiing, ATVing, motocross... But mostly, it's just a pretty empty spot of desert that people really only catch a glimpse of as they race by on I-15 to where they need to get to. Local attractions include Zizix Road, which is the last road in the alphabet uh, currently in the United States. Um, There's a monastery. There's Calico Ghost Town. And there's the subject of today's episode, the abandoned site of the former Lake Dolores Rockahula Water Park. Before it was a water park, it was the brainchild of John Robert Byers. He was known as Bob. Originally, Bob was involved in the paint business back in the 40s and 50s in a little town called Yermo, California. But Bob was a man with big ideas. He sold his share in the paint business to start a grand venture in the desert around 1953. Reportedly, at the time, the land was pennies for an acre, and if you made improvements on it for five years, it would become yours. The first thing that was built on Bob's desert landscape was an airplane hangar because he was a private pilot. This later became the family home. Bob and his wife Dolores started out with a homestead in the area, 350 acres including a cattle ranch, ponies, and alfalfa fields. Some of their property actually included some of the current I-15, and they apparently had to sell about 50 acres when I-15 was widened and changed from 91 
into the current I-15. And so in 1966, with the alfalfa business not doing so hot, Lake Dolores as we know it began to take shape. Bob built a man-made lake on one of the area's natural springs, and it was conveniently located on his property, which was just right a couple hundred yards from I-15. And he called it Lake Dolores after his wife. Originally, the park was simply a private desert campground for his family. They had water skiing, boat racing, fishing. Grandchild Penny Byers remembers online, quote, Each year, my grandpa would add something to the lake, end quote. Don Fields, a former documentarian for Lake Dolores, was once quoted in an interview as saying, quote, He wanted it to be a landing place, a pit stop, a place to just cool off and refresh. That started catching on, and word got out, and people started flocking to the water. End quote. Byers's campground grew in popularity and attracted more and more outdoor sports enthusiasts. The scope of the park then also began to expand, to include slides of multiple types, thrilling trapeze rides, a boat racing track, and an expanded campground and ATV course. And this park is actually considered the first modern water park in America. Why? Well, I mean, at the time, there were simply no other commercial water parks. Places might have lakes or swimming, but the water park as we think of it today, with its slides and other attractions, was generally unknown. Bob and his family built every attraction for the original iteration of the park by hand. By opening the place up to the public, Don Field said, quote, That's what turned it into the first water park, because there's no record going back of any official water park prior to that. So whether he knew it or not, he was really kind of inventing America's first water park. In 1971, 30,000 visitors came to Lake Dolores. But of course, it was much more than just a water park. Quote, it was pretty much a free-for-all party location in the middle of nowhere. End quote. People called it Lake D and Lake Delirious. A former visitor remembers, quote, This place was a mud hole with no grass, hardly any trees and dirt, and we loved it. Every summer, the bikers would throw a week-long party that was totally insane. End quote. Universally online, the memories of the original Lake Dolores are of the good times and the great dangers. What made it that way? Let's go over the safety hazards that made Lake Dolores so memorable. But first, some facts. Obviously, a water park in the middle of the desert is a pretty attractive notion, especially in the days prior to common home air conditioning. Temperatures, of course, can soar well over 110 degrees in the daytime in this area. And those who aren't from the desert might not realize that the temperature swing once the sun goes down can really be quite dramatic, like 30 degrees difference, which is a pretty big deal. And although it's the desert, winter temperatures can still be below freezing, so a water park, even in the middle of the desert, is still a seasonal concept. To get to Lake Dolores, you did and still do take the Harvard exit off I-15. If you lived within 5 or 10 miles at the time of its original construction, that was considered close enough to bike or walk. Otherwise, the park was easily visible off the newly constructed I-15, formerly State Route 91, and it attracted many visitors from the interstate. Cars drove down the dusty desert roads, paid their entrance fee at the entrance building, a single-wide mobile home. 
Until 1971, admission was free. In 1972, prices were raised from 50 cents to 150 for adults, 75 cents for kids. And the Byers family began advertising the park in the local paper. Quote, fantastic. Primitive camping, swimming, giant swings, 180-foot slides into water, fishing. End quote. At the water park, cars could park, many just right next to the water's edge. In front of them, a vista of murky lakes and lagoons. I should probably be more generous here. Although the lakes were not what we picture compared to today's water parks, they were quality tested regularly, and water was circulated, pumped from the wells that once irrigated the alfalfa fields, and then pumped through the swim lakes into the various fishing lakes into this constant circulation. And of course, if you looked around, you saw black steel drum trash cans everywhere on the hot desert dirt. There were a handful of scraggly desert trees to provide greenery, but mostly it was that unending desert. Bob reportedly wanted it to look like a beach. The main feature was the sliding hill, made from the dirt scooped out for the lakes and lagoons, and the shiny silver slides. By the time the park was in its heyday, there were eight identical slides perched on one side of the hill. Originally, there were only two. The sun probably reflected off the slides to catch the attention of drivers on the freeway. And these were called the lay-down slides. Each rider used an inflatable raft to coast down the slide. You could sit, go on your stomach, or on your back. The slides were 180 feet long, as advertised, and ran at a jaw-dropping 60-degree angle. When riders hit the water, they would skid 40, 50, 60 feet across the lagoon at about 40 miles per hour, just like so many skipping stones. And there was no guarantee that the riders would stay in the water. Quote, I can even tell you that putting baby oil on the sit-down slide rafts would increase the speed on your way down the slide. End quote. Dozens of stories online relate how friends would fly out of the pool and land in the dirt. But this was really just the tip of the iceberg for safety hazards at Lake Dolores. Emptying into a separate lagoon, but coming off the same hill, the infamous stand-up slides. These were longer, 220 feet long, and ran at the same 60 degrees like their counterparts. However, they were different because, as their name implies, you had to stand up as you went down the slide. This slide was sort of a, a V-shape with a flat bottom or maybe like a squared off U. And riders had to just put their hands on the edge of the slide and maintain their balance on the running water as they went down. Or else they'd fall off into the desert dirt that they'd just trudged up, into the other slide, or just on their rear ends. At the end of the slide, instead of coasting into the lagoon like the laydown slides next door, riders were met with a 10 to 15 foot drop into the water below. This effect was something like a human cannonball. Promotional videos for the park show riders with very impressive skills, spinning in circles while standing and sliding down the slide. Quote, doing 360s down the stand-up slide was only for the truly brave Lake DeLoreans. End quote. Or you might get pairs of riders doing coordinating flips at the end into the water. Of course, many people slipped and fell, taking the rides on their rear ends. Quote, sliding down that metal slide in your bare feet was really tough. 
You'd always be scared of falling right as you got to the end and hitting your head on the lip of the slide. We would see at least one major injury every single day." End quote. In between the two sets of slides was the zip cord, which was known as the tram. This was a 200-foot-long guide wire. Riders held on to the cobbled hand tram, sort of like two skate wheels with a handle, and you zoom downward off the hill at continually increasing speeds. At the end of the line was a tire, which stopped the tram and sent riders dropping, usually screaming, the 20 feet into the murky lagoon below. The true challenge, of course, was to hold on at least long enough to be over the water, because if you let go too soon, you'd fall very painfully and probably a little bloody onto the hard desert dirt below. A visitor who spent time at the park every Memorial Day in the 70s remembers online, quote, when we were relaxing on the lakeside in lawn chairs, we'd watch people fall off the zip lines as they started off and tumble down that rocky hill, or better yet, not letting go before hitting the tire at the end and getting whipped or thrown head over heels right to the edge of the shore in barely knee-deep water." End quote. In an adjacent lake stood some deep waters with a wild-looking structure in the middle. Like an upsized version of a child's swing set, this was an A-frame structure with several platforms and three trapeze swings. Reportedly launching from a height of 20 feet, riders usually did ungraceful swings off the trapeze, landing in uncomfortable belly flops. The trapeze stand also had high dive platforms and a balancing log for knocking opponents off into the water. In one section at one time, there was even a normal metal child swing standing in the water, the bottom of the swing seat touching the water. One visitor comments online, quote, pretty sure this is now why I am afraid of dark water, end quote. The water in this pool, really more of a lake or lagoon, like all others was a far cry from modern water parks. It was murky, muddy water, like a lake, instead of the crystal clear chlorine water in a falsely blue basin that you see at today's parks. Visitors online share more than one story of finding something unmentionable floating in the water while swimming. But, quote, there was simply no place like it when it was 115, end quote. Lake Dolores also had other amenities, including campground, motocross, ATV tracks, and the lake for boat and jet ski races. As the park grew more popular, there was a snack shack, there were bumper boats, there were racing cars, and mini golf. And it was a 100% a family operation. By all accounts, the Byers family is and was a very close one. Every online remembrance I've read of the place talks about how nice, genuine, and wonderful the Byers family was. Every post I've seen that talks about them talks about how the place was a family operation first and foremost, how their hearts were poured into the park. The children, cousins, grandchildren, they all spent their summers 24-7 at Lake Dolores. They worked as lifeguards, they staffed the snack bars, they took admissions. The park at the time was also located reasonably close to other amenities, at the next off-ramp just three miles down the road. Reasonably close for the time. There was a Stuckey's family restaurant and a Shell gas station with a convenience store. Quote, the one thing that was a constant at Lake Dolores was that someone was going to get hurt. Every time we went, someone either spiraled off the stand-up slide into a spectacular crash, or 
Someone didn't run far enough on the zip line before they lifted their feet and got drug across the hot dirt for several yards before they were high enough in the air, etc. End quote. Despite, or perhaps because of, the thrilling nature of the water park, Lake Dolores saw a slow and steady increase in attendance over the decades. Quote from a former visitor online, Quote, And Lake Dolores was a death trap. All the rides were so dangerous. Yeah, it was a blast! End quote. Reportedly, guests had to sign a waiver of liability upon entrance to the park. There isn't a single comment section I've found talking about Lake Dolores in this time period that doesn't mention the thrills and the danger and the injuries. Reportedly, the joke used to be, if you didn't come home with a bruise or scrape from Lake Dolores, you didn't have any fun. It was promoted on television and newspaper as the fun spot of the desert. No longer was it only a midway stop for those driving from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. It became a destination. Low-budget commercials for Lake Dolores aired during afternoon cartoons and late-night bad movies. A 1970s interview aired on the local news in which patrons sang the praises of the park despite its location. Yeah, you get tired of the beaches. You want, you want to change every now and then, you know? <laughs> so it's worth their drive, what, 150 miles? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That's two hours awesome. and you're here. Yeah. Nothing's yeah, like this around in where we live. No. Word of mouth, as we all know, was the strongest driving factor for attendance. Quote, only went there once, for two glorious days in the early 80s, end quote, says one former visitor in a comment online. Quote, it was the absolute most fun I have ever had at a water park, end quote. Particularly popular with the thrill-seeking teens and young adults, visitors would reportedly line up in their cars by the dozens, sleeping overnight just outside of the front gates in order to get the best weekend camping spots. Apparently, tents could be pitched right at the water's edge, and in the morning, patrons could roll out of their tents and jump into the water. Can you even imagine? Of course, with all these injuries and safety hazards, there had to be at least a couple deaths, and anecdotal reports online are that there were several. It's hard to corroborate stories, but I did find newspaper reports with at least two drownings, um, both in the high-dive trapeze pool. For the most part, though, people write about the place with incredible fondness. Lake Dolores was remembered for its free-flowing beer, its all-night parties, its anytime hookups, its epic hangovers. It was remembered for bus trips and senior ditch days and young people wearing very little in the hot summer sunshine. It was remembered for sleeping in the backs of trucks, staring up at the clearest sky of stars that only the desert produces. Friends, weed sunburns, music, cold beer, and cool water in the hot, dry desert. That was Lake Dolores. In the late 1980s, Lake Dolores Water Park closed for the first time. Details, as always seem to be the case, are light. Some report financial problems. Opinions online seem to be that insurance and workers' comp for the freewheeling park, quote, killed it, end quote. Perhaps, but perhaps not. In 1986, local ordinances about water at recreational parks were updated to be more strict. In an article at the time, Byers was quoted as worrying about this new standard and that it could force the closure of his park due to its murky waters. And attitudes were changing. Vegas was building water parks. There was wet and wild right there on the strip. Society was developing different expectations for safety. The tides were simply shifting. 
And Bob and Dolores wanted to retire, and none of their children wanted to take over the operation of the park. So it was sold. This incarnation of the park was nothing if not a bunch of drunk hippies with an anything-goes, no-holds-barred kind of attitude. The opinion was one of personal responsibility. We don't make any beans about the fact that there is some risk here. There's risk in anything you do. Even when you drive, drive down the freeway, you have a risk involved. So anything that you do nowadays, when you go snow skiing, water skiing, and you come here, any place where there's some fun, you, there is some element of risk. Quote, we did belly flops that emptied the pools, end quote, says one visitor. Quote, Lake Dolores was the epitome of what a water park should be. If the ride scares you, don't go on it. End quote. With the sale of the Lake Dolores water park, we enter the era of the second water park, Rockahula. The property changed hands several times, particularly in the late 80s. Originally, the title was proposed as Waterworld of Barstow in 1986. This was to be a large RV park with several themed villages, a golf course, and of course, Lake Dolores. This project was in development for 18 months, but it was ultimately canceled in 1987 due to the developer being unable to find investment funding. Byers was quoted at the time saying, quote, it's still up for sale, I want to retire, end quote. In 1989, the property was officially sold and development reportedly began in earnest on the same concept. Still, nothing ever came of it, and the property was eventually sold to Lake Dolores Group, LLC, which was an investment group led by a man named Harry Christensen. Christensen was a former Marine, a general contractor, and he'd built four other water parks previously. He was ready to build a park of his own, and he'd envisioned a modern, polished park with a 1950s theme. The name was to be Rockahula. Yes, like the Elvis song, and yes, probably spelled as it is to avoid legal infringement. Don Field said, quote, From the 90s when Terry Christensen rebuilt it, what strikes you is just the bold colors, the big, huge, bright red windy slide, and the big, colorful mushroom umbrellas, the Route 66 feel, and the rockabilly Elvis Presley 50s theme that he built into it. End quote. Christensen was reportedly inspired by finding a better place for his family to jet ski. Their previous getaway place, Lake Mead, was often too crowded with boaters. Together with the investment group, the plan was for a water park, a campground, and a lake. It reportedly took several years to renovate the park for the modern era, both from a financial perspective and from the perspective of physically getting the work done on the site. It took until 1995 before the original water slides on the hill were removed, and then they installed some new ones. These were bright fiberglass numbers, standard kind of water slides that we expect to see nowadays, white and red and blue. The park was laid out to include a lazy river, a kid's splash pad, an arcade, lockers, water fountain, and a snack shack. Gone was the murky lake and the camp style of the old Lake Dolores, and in was crystal clear, chlorinated water. The theming was a slick, over-the-top 50s theme, although most of the buildings were done in what I'd call 90s desert concrete more than anything. Retro billboards promoted the theming throughout the park, and up on a hill, a giant cylinder was painted with a bright red Coke can promotion. Reportedly, Christensen's daughter was the one to name each of the slides, 
using favorite 50 songs. The Doo-Wop Super Drop, Blueberry Hill Thrill, The Big Bopper. Christensen had big plans for the park. He dug a new lake, he dug new wells. RV sites were laid out for camping, and the ultimate goal was for a much larger complex, potentially even including a hotel. You, you know this by now, but the grand plans never came to fruition. Neither of the 21st century owners ever raised the capital to realize their plans. Rockahula Park reopened in 1998 as America's first water park in the 21st century. Admission was $17.95 for adults and $12.95 for kids. One of the park's big selling points was that it had the largest family raft ride in the United States at the time. This was called the Big Bopper. Unfortunately, things were not to be very rosy in the 21st century for Rockahula. One of the three investors in the Lake Dolores LLC group made problems, forcing the park to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy right away in 1998. Operations continued and attendance at the water park was moderate. The Electric Daisy Carnival, now an annual event in multiple cities with hundreds of thousands of attendees, held one of its first annual EDM festivals at Rockahula in June of 1999. Reportedly, over 10,000 people attended the festival. Later in 1999, a major incident occurred which would hasten the park's problems. An employee, James Mason, reported to work at the water park. While off the clock waiting for his shift to start after a jet ski competition, Mason asked another employee to turn on the doo-wop super drop slide so he could cool down. Unfortunately, the catch pool was not sufficiently full, which Mason didn't realize until after he'd already begun sliding. He hit the pool's concrete with massive force and was rendered a complete paraplegic upon contact. Ultimately, Mason sued Lake Dolores and won, receiving $4.4 million in compensation in 2004, well after the park had closed. The ongoing legal battles towards the end of the park's run didn't do them any favors. They did continue on for three seasons as Rockahula, by which time they'd amassed over $3 million in debt. In 2000, debt continuing to rise, the park entered Chapter 7 liquidation. The property was given back to Dolores buyers, Bob having passed away in 1996, after the court-appointed trustee could not find a buyer for the park, and nearly all of the park's debts were forgiven. Dolores sold the property again in 2001 to a different investment group and passed away in October of that year. With $400,000 of renovations and Terry Christensen still on board as a consultant, newly renamed Discovery Water Park opened in 2002, operating on weekends in the 2002 and 2003 seasons. During the 2004 season, the park operated intermittently and inconsistently before closing for good that year. Despite this new name, I've seen little to no indications that the signs for the park ever included the new name. Billboards from the park's abandoned days still feature the Rockahula logo and Discovery Water Park, that super generic name, is, to be honest, an afterthought in the story of Rockahula and Lake Dolores. Reportedly, when the park closed in the 2000s, employees weren't even paid for the last month of the park's operation. However, they were apparently allowed to take whatever they pleased home with them. Computers, furniture, food, anything. And that was it for the operational years of Lake Dolores, Rockahula, 
and Discovery Water Park. At one point in the late 2000s, applications were made for the land to be used as a housing development, an RV park, or a senior retirement home. Reportedly, Ron Brown, then of the Oakland Raiders, was even in serious talks to buy the park at one time. The report at the time from the local realtor scene was that insurance costs for the park after the accident went sky high. Many online unfairly blame the injured employee for, quote, killing the park, end quote, which is unfair and inaccurate given the reports about the park's finances. Quote, the partners he, Terry Christensen, had at the time were at fault as they squandered investors' money and were brought up on charges, end quote. In addition, local government permits sounding additional lakes and water rights in the area made the prospect of opening any separate water park or making major changes to Lake Dolores difficult. Reportedly, the zoning for the Lake Dolores property was also changed around this time, which made future development difficult as well. As the early 2000s moved into the mid-2000s, it was clear that Rockahula was shuttered for good. From here, we move with the park into the current third stage, the abandoned water park. The park was well-maintained for quite some time, and there are actually relatively few images showing the park abandoned but with the slides present, as it was still secured pretty well at that time. In 2008, skateboarders Rob and Big of the MTV show Rob and Big worked with the then-owners to gain permission to film at the site. Permission was granted, and they filmed an episode of their skateboard stunt show at the park. This is likely the last media appearance of the park as it was. Two weeks after the episode was filmed, the slides were disassembled and most of them were shipped to Canada. They were purchased by Cultus Lake in British Columbia. The Big Bopper, the most notable of these, has been renamed Colossal Canyon. With the publicity of the park from the Robin Big Show and the removal of the slides, the prognosis for the park quickly went downhill. There were increased reports of scrappers, vandalism, broken glass, arson, all the usual suspects. Of course, by 2019, when I'm recording this, anything of value like copper has long been stolen from the place for scrap value. Images online show that nothing has been done for the park. The palm trees haven't been trimmed or maintained in years. There are literal tumbleweeds blowing around. The park is located in the heart of the Mojave Desert. The place is dry, which is of course ironic for a water park. But your usual suspects, mold, wood rot, plant growth, those usual suspects for an abandoned building aren't factors in this place. Structurally, most of the buildings are going to last for quite some time if they're not burned down. Over on the hill, that once bright red coke sign has long been bleached by the baking hot desert sun. What original signage is left that hasn't been painted over by graffiti artists also suffers the same fate. Faded beyond legibility, tattered and peeling. About 10 years ago, 2009 to 2011, Progress was being made on a full-length documentary. However, no recent progress has been made, and the domain name associated with the documentary is now for sale. And since 2011, efforts have been made to restore the park and open a new profitable enterprise. The park did continue to change hands from one owner to another, but the ownership has been stable since 2014. 
A group called Oasis Theme Park is heading the effort to work with the current owner and restore the park, but progress has been slow. The story of what happened or is happening with this group really isn't clear. There are accusations about money mismanagement by a representative of the owner's bank. And at the time of this recording, there has been no apparent progress on any park restoration. This isn't really surprising. Using common sense and, you know, looking at newspaper reports, if you go to op-eds that were in the local papers back in 2013, the local Newberry Springs Community Alliance wrote an op-ed about the park, saying that they've known since 2011 that the Lake Dolores site will never again be a financially viable commercial enterprise. And their reasoning does make sense. When Lake Dolores opened, it was the first commercial water park. There was no competition. At the time, it was really no big deal to drive two hours from the nearest major city to and from Lake Dolores. Now in 2019, you're, there's a huge competing market for water parks. You're not going to drive from L.A. two hours into the middle of the desert to go to a water park. And you're not going to drive from Vegas two hours to go to a water park. You've got a water park right in your backyard, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes away. Attitudes today are different. The market today is different. And the area amenities that once seemed convenient are still three miles away. And now that seems a little bit far. The Shell gas station is still there with its convenience store, but the Stuckies sits across the road abandoned. There does seem to be a burger place out there by the gas station now, though, so there has been a little bit of progress since the 1960s. But this is still out in the middle of nowhere. It's going to be hard to make a financially viable modern water park here. Beyond the Robin Big Show, the park has been the backdrop or feature for a number of other media productions. In 2012, Mercedes-Benz sponsored another skate film there, entitled Killian Martin, Altered Route. In 2013, art group Trustocorp turned the park into Trustoland, repainting most of the signs and buildings. I'd say this was really the tipping point that began the current endless cycle of graffiti at the park that can be seen today in images when you go looking. Also in 2013, the group Boards of Canada debuted their Tomorrow's Harvest album with a release at the abandoned park. So a series of clues preempted the release, including satellite images of the park, a distorted commercial for the park, and finally latitude and longitude coordinates. In 2014, the park was used as a Top Gear America obstacle course and an Operation Lion Claws airsoft course. In 2015, the park was featured in a BMW Mini Cooper commercial and in the music video Reapers by the band Muse. And finally, in 2016, the park appeared on an episode of Abandoned by the Viceland Network. And that's the end of my Wikipedia-style rereading of the various places this park has been. Of course, there are countless urban exploration videos that you can see on YouTube. Personally, I don't find them particularly interesting. They're all filmed post-slide removal, and they all show the increasingly demolished water park. Like I said, it's 90s concrete, it's all graffiti, there's not much left. The story of Lake Dolores Water Park truly is the story of three different parks. We've got the abandoned water park of the current era, smashed, destroyed, an eyesore that is quote-unquote rotting away in the desert that's unlikely to ever be restored. 
We've got the story of the modern vision of the park, Rockahula and Discovery, that's really a tragedy. Christensen and his family did put their heart and soul into the park, trying to remake it in a new modern world. To have the story turn sour on unethical partners, mountains of debt, stories about accidents, it's truly heartbreaking. And finally, the story of the original scrappy Lake Dolores is that of family, good memories, and wild times. The original Lake Dolores could never have existed in our modern era of safety regulations, but of course we always have photos and stories to help recapture and revisit those days. The slides were there for so many years, a landmark to those commuting on I-15. Lake Dolores is well remembered by the large family, children, grandchildren, and cousins who were brought together each summer by the water park. There are incredible stories online of the wild times that people experienced as Lake Dolores. But it was really remembered for the people who created it, the Byers family who came together every summer to run the park, and the patriarch and matriarch Bob and Dolores Byers. Penny Byers said online, quote, I can't believe people are still talking about Lake Dolores. The middle of the desert, middle of nowhere, was the best place for the lake. My grandparents are gone, but I am happy to see that their legend lives on. They were great people. End quote. And Millie, a cousin of the Byers family, said, quote, Bob flew small planes, could sing with a gorgeous voice, was quite a businessman, and a wonderful uncle. D is forever part of my heart. End quote. Going into this episode, I was drawn in, as always, by the images of the abandoned park. But it's the story of the original Lake Dolores and the people who built it that have stuck out to me the most. It truly seems like it was a -a one-of-a-kind, memorable experience. That glorious, ultimate childhood, summertime experience that you read about in stories. In the words of a former visitor, quote, To me, it was the coolest, happiest, most magical place on Earth. End quote. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Abandoned Carousel about the history of America's first water park, Lake Dolores Water Park. You can find complete show notes as well as video and audio versions of this episode at my website, theabandonedcarousel.com backslash 16. Thanks to Dawn for suggesting this week's topic. Remember to subscribe to the show, leave a review, and tell a friend. Your support is what helps this show grow. I'd love to hear your stories about Lake Dolores if you've got them. You can find me across social media as The Abandoned Carousel or on Twitter as Carousel Abandon. I'll be back soon with another great episode, so I'll see you then. Remember, as Lucy Maud Montgomery once said, nothing is ever really lost to us as long as we remember it.